That was lovely. Dawn is going to come and read to us. Good morning. Um, this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he would wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Thank you, Donna. So I'd like to just once again thank Laurel and Lexi and Sharon Wells and all the teams that are looking forward to the next 50 years of the chapel's life. And what we're doing now is really developing ourselves, I think, as a community. Not just a bunch of individuals that come together for their own personal spiritual benefit but a group that comes here to form a whole. Because as a whole, we can both make a larger contribution and receive greater benefit than if we try and do things on our own. You know, we mustn't just be spiritual consumers. I often think sometimes, as I've said before, that I'm here to do spiritual stand-up and that you're here to listen to the shtick, and then you can go away and come back in afterwards. You're looking for the next thing. You know, what's going on, you know, down at the Institute? You know, we can add to our spiritual knowledge, and it'll be able to get, you know, towards our goal of whatever it is, you know, our spiritual goals are. You know, that's a temptation uh, that we have. But I, I really love that quote from Scott Peck, uh, who wrote The uh, Road Less Travel, on community. He says... Community means a group of individuals who've learnt to communicate honestly with each other, whose relationship goes deeper than the masks of their composure, and have developed some significant commitment to rejoice together, mourn together, delight in each other, and think of each other as we think of ourselves. And I really think we do try and do that here. Often we fail, but there is a desire to come together, I think, and contribute to each other. And the Dalai Lama as well has something really interesting to say. He says that we are social animals. This is the Dalai Lama. We are social animals who live in communities, who depend on each other to survive. 
He said, therefore, we need to respond to each other with love and compassion. Scientists, he says, have found evidence revealed by young infants that basic human nature, basic human nature is compassionate. However, our natural instinctive compassion tends to be biased towards those that are close to us. And since we're all interdependent, we all benefit if our neighbors are peaceful, whether they are neighboring family or neighboring country. Therefore, we need to extend our compassion, says the Dalai Lama, to the whole of humanity. And for me, I think the key thing to that is this idea of of interdependence. To me, that's what's key to understanding what it means to be in a community. We acknowledge that we all need each other in order to function at the highest level. Each of us has got something to offer, and each of us has something that we can receive. And in some cases, what we need to receive is the gift that we bring to others. You know, your willingness to receive from me here is a gift to me because it enables me to make my contribution. It gives me a job and it feeds my family. So, you know, the whole thing, you're sitting there, but you're making a contribution to me by receiving. And it's the same for each of us. We have things to give and things to receive. And sometimes we need to receive, the need, that need to receive and the ability to receive is as much of a gift to others. It all goes both ways. And that goes, I think, for all communities, even the way the communities interact with each other. Towns are interdependent. They have things to offer and things that they need to receive. Our valley offers the mountains and our hospitality. We receive people and their money, but also their wisdom and their experience. And they in turn enable jobs to come to the area and we buy food and supplies from other areas, you know, and so it goes on. We are all interdependent from each other. And one day I think nations, nations will realize that interdependence and we will see more cooperation between nations rather than the competition that we see today. And of course, that goes for all life. You know, we depend on plants. They depend on us. Bees, trees, worms, fish, cacti. Everything depends on everything else. Which is why I thought it would be a good idea to have a declaration of interdependence. A declaration of interdependence. Now, when I started to write this, I was sure that this had been done before. You know, there's nothing original that comes from here, you can tell. So I thought, you know, I'm not going to look up on the inter internet in a de declaration of interdependence. I'm going to try and write my own first. And then I'll look up afterwards and see what's there. So anyway, this is what I came up with. I came up with my own declaration of interdependence. So, declaration of interdependence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that everything is created equal, and that everything is endowed by its creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life and the coexistence of all other created things. And to that end, we assert that all of creation is a part of one interdependent whole. 
and that the role of humanity is to ensure that it does not assert its own species' rights to the existence above any other species' rights. To that end, we should attempt to cooperate with all life forms to enable a harmonious coexistence of planetary life. That no one community, race or nation is superior to any other community, race or nation. And that all should attempt to live in harmony with each other. That communities are interdependent with each other. And that sharing bounty, benefits and problems are the only way to create a harmonious planetary existence. That all communities should attempt to see how they could create the understanding as to how to learn from and contribute to all other communities. And that our role as an individual is to develop wisdom and understanding so as to cooperate with and contribute to respective communities that I am a member of. So I did that. That's what I came up with. That's, that's it. It doesn't go on any further. And so I looked up on the internet. And I thought, well, who's, who's come up with a declaration of interdependence? And the best one, there were, there were I think, five or six that I found. But the best one, I thought, was from David Suzuki. And it was written for the 1992 UN Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. And this is what David uh, Suzuki says. He says, first of all, it's three sections. First of all, this we know. He says, this we know. This we know. We are the earth through the planets and animals that nourish us. We are the rains and the oceans that flow through our veins. We are the breath of the forests of the land and the plants of the sea. We are human animals related to all other life as descendants of the firstborn cell. We share with these kin a common history written in our genes. We share a common present filled with uncertainty. We share a common future as yet untold. We humans are but one of 30 billion species weaving the thin layer of life enveloping the world. The stability of communities of living things depends on this diversity. Linked in that web, we are all interconnected using, cleansing, sharing, and replenishing the fundamental elements of life. Our home, planet Earth, is finite. All life shares its resources and the energy from the sun and therefore has limits to its growth. For the first time, we have touched those limits. When we compromise the air, the water, the soil, and the varieties of life, we steal from the endless future to serve the fleeting present. That's this we know. This we believe, this is what he says, this we believe, that humans have become so numerous and our tools so powerful that we've driven fellow creatures to extinction, damned the great rivers, torn down ancient forests, poisoned the earth, rain and wind, and ripped holes in the sky. Our science has brought pain as well as joy. Our comfort is paid for by the suffering of millions. We are learning from our mistakes. We mourning the vanishing of our kin. And we now build 
and new politics of hope. We respect and uphold the absolute need for clean air, water and soil. We see that economic activities that benefit the few while shrinking the inheritance of the many are wrong. And since environmental degradation erodes biological capital forever, full ecological and social cost must enter all equations of development. We are one brief generation in the long march of time. The future is not ours to erase. So where knowledge is limited, we will remember all those who will walk after us and err on the side of caution. That's this we believe. And finally, and it's short, this we resolve. This is David Suga, this we resolved. All this that we know and believe must now become the foundation of the way that we live. At this turning point in our relationship with Earth, we work for an evolution from dominance to partnership, from fragmentation to connection, from insecurity to interdependence. So I think that's lovely and beautifully written. That's David Suzuki. And I think it's a great vision of what we're about as a planet and what we're trying to communicate in our own way here at the chapel. And, you know, the idea, this idea of interdependence goes right the way back through history. And the idea of all being one body is so clear from that reading that Donna read us this morning. You know, it's so easy. If we were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts. One, the eye, the hand, you know, it sets out the whole thing so there'd be no division of the body, but that all parts should have equal concern for each other. And this wonderful phrase, if one part suffers, think of the world. Think of the world. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. And you can see this understanding has been through the centuries. That hymn that we sang this morning, All Creatures of Our God and King, it, has the, it refers to brother wind or clouds or air and sister water. Right, if you look at that hymn, right the way through it, it looks at the interdependence of all things. And that idea is the idea expressed by Francis of Assisi, who referred to brother sun and sister moon, all part of a oneness. It's the same message. And really, that's what we're aiming for, to recognize ourselves as part of a web of creation, that each of us has a part to play. And that part is only played in relationship to all other parts. We recognize ourselves not just as individuals trying to get what we want, but as part of the whole of creation, playing our part in the evolution of all things. And you can see it even in the breath that you breathe. We take that breath of oxygen that's been created for us by plants and it nourishes us. And then we take that nourishment and we give back. Now, since all carbon dioxide that we exhale is originated in carbon dioxide captured by plants during photosynthesis, by breathing, we're not disturbing the carbon dioxide content of the atmosphere by breathing. So what can we give back? Well, of course, we will all give back our bodies. They'll go back into the ground when we die. 
and our activity can contribute by the way that we move seeds around and interact with other animals. But up to now, we seem to have taken more from the earth as a species than we've given, and hence the need for greater wisdom and understanding. An understanding that our very consciousness can be a contribution if we, as the Dalai Lama suggests, respond to one another with love and compassion. Or as Jesus suggests, simply to love your neighbor as yourself. That our actions are done within this awareness that we are all interdependent of each other and that our role is to see how we can make a contribution in light of that. All of which will take a mighty shift in attitude for humanity. All this stuff will take a... You just have to look at the news. A mighty shift in attitude from a, a, selfish, a selfish, separate, get-what-I-can attitude to a selfless, holistic, contribute-what-I-can attitude. And as Einstein famously said, a problem cannot be solved by the same consciousness that created the problem in the first place. Hence the need for a radical shift in consciousness in the planet, which is why we exist as the Aspen Chapel, to help make that contribution. We who've received so much, you just have to look at us all here, occupying seats of privilege. And there's nothing wrong with that. Many of us have worked hard to get to these seats of privilege, but we are so privileged nonetheless. And we are here to give back, to help make a difference, to help to change attitudes. But we can't do that just by having ideas. We have to physically embody it. We have to model it as individuals and as a community. Hence the need to be the sort of community we want to encourage others to form. I came across a lovely story that I just want to, to give you that really just sort of sums up how this works. Once, a great order, a decaying monastery, had only five monks left. The order was dying. In the surrounding deep roots, there was a little hut that a rabbi from the nearby town used to come to from time to time. And the monks always knew when the rabbi was home, when they saw the smoke from his fire rise above the treetops. As the abbot agonized over the, over the imminent death of his order, it occurred to him to ask the rabbi if he could offer any advice that might save the monastery. The rabbi welcomed the abbot to his hut. When the abbot explained his reason for the visit, the rabbi could only commiserate with him. I know how it is, he explained. The spirit's gone out of the people. It's the same in the town. Almost no one comes to the synagogue anymore. So the abbot and the rabbi sat together discussing the Bible and their faiths. And the time came for the abbot to leave. It's been a wonderful visit, said the abbot, but I failed in my purpose. Is there nothing you can tell me to help me save my dying order? The only thing I can tell you, said the rabbi, is that the Messiah is among you. When the abbot returned to his monastery, his fellow monks gathered around him and said, what did the rabbi say? 
He couldn't help the other answer. The only thing he said is that I was leaving was that the Messiah was amongst us. Though I don't know what those words meant. Anyway, in the months that followed, the monks pondered this and wondered whether there was any significance in the rabbi's words that the Messiah is amongst us. Could he possibly have meant that the Messiah was one of the monks in the monastery? In that case, which one of us was the Messiah? Do you suppose he meant the abbot? Yes, he meant the abbot. You know, anybody, he'd probably be the father abbot. Certainly couldn't have meant brother Elred. Elred gets crotchety at times. And come to think of it, even so, Elred, he's virtually always right. Maybe the rabbi did mean brother Elred. And of course, the rabbi didn't mean me. He couldn't possibly have meant, you know, I'm just an ordinary person. Yet suppose he did mean me. Suppose, suppose I'm the Messiah. As they contemplated in this manner, the manks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one among them might be the Messiah. And in turn, each monk began to treat himself with extraordinary respect. It so happened that people still occasionally came to visit the beautiful forest and the monastery. And without even being conscious of it, the visitors began to sense a powerful spiritual aura. They were sensing the extraordinary respect that now filled the monastery. Hardly knowing why, people began to come to the monastery, frequently to picnic, to play, and to pray. They began to bring their friends, and their friends brought their friends. And then it happened that some of the younger men who came to visit the monastery started to talk more and more with the older monks. And after a while, one asked if he could join them, then another and another. And they asked if they could join the abbot and the older monks. And within a few years, the monastery once again became a thriving order, a vibrant center of light and spirituality in the realm. We have to be courageous here and open-hearted to be a group of individuals that does communicate honestly with each other and whose relationships go deeper than the masks of their composer. And we have to acknowledge our interdependence. Last page, don't panic. That we all have gifts and that we all of us here have needs and that in being together, we should be generous with both. We should live the way that we want others to live, to be the change that we want to see in the world, to work together to make our unique corporate contribution. We're here because of the work of previous generations have done in this place. And now it's our turn to pony up and do the work so that there's an active community here in 50 years' time. And, you know, make whatever contribution you can. If it's money, give. The gift day box is here for the last time. If you haven't put a check in it, do. If it's wisdom that you want to contribute, join in. If it's time, volunteer. It's a, if it's a platform for our views, then donate that platform. You know, give what you can. Give your wisdom. And you can begin by using those pebbles at the end of the service. Contribute by telling us what's important to you. Do the survey. Host a dinner. It's just another way of demonstrating interdependence. 
It might not look it now, but this is the way the world is going. This is the way the world is going. And it's been going this way all the way through time, from the Big Bang to the emergence of humanity, through the great spiritual teachers, Buddha, Christ, Muhammad, Lao Tzu, through economic and social change, through the change in attitudes to race, poverty, and gender, through the growth of global consciousness. Read the signs rather than being drowned by the loudest voices. We are one community as a planet. And anyone who says different is selling something for their own benefit. Let's individually and corporately play our part in that process. And let's pray. Just open our hearts again to each other, to our world, to the interconnectedness of all things. We do pray for ourselves as a community. We pray for each member here that they'll recognize what they have to give and also what we each of us have to receive. We pray for our communities, for our nations, that we will realize what we have to give and what we have to receive. Pray for all those who are in difficult circumstances at the moment. We particularly pray for those suffering from the effects of the climate. Pray for those in war zones, caught up in riots, difficulty, those in oppressive regimes. Particularly pray for those in prison, those who are homeless and hungry, those in hospital. When we think of those in our community who are suffering at the moment, Rita Hunter with Lou Gehrig's disease, particularly pray for Heather Morrow who is uh, recovering from brain injury and is going into hospital on Friday for a, an operation. Um, she's gone downhill recently and um, is going into a hospital in Denver. We just pray for her on Friday. Pray for Pat Smith. Brett McKenzie, Elizabeth Robin Morse and her pregnancy, Connie Alcott recovering from back surgery, Ryder Friday and Barbara Bloomsma's aunt. And all those who we do remember in our hearts now that we know are suffering. We pray that your healing power may be with them. Amen.